Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Baby, we got the win. Thursday night, prom time. It ain't no better feeling than this, man. Bear down, baby. Spider-Man here. Just got a win at Soldier Field. Let's go, Bears. There it is. There it is. Bear down, y'all. It's amazing. No, the win wasn't pretty, but we got the dub, especially against them. It's even better. beat the Carolina Panthers in one of those games that we'll probably all forget by Sunday about 1.30 Eastern time. I'm Peter King. I'm uh, stepping in pinch hitting for Mike Florio for a little while. We've got some technical issues we're working on right now, but uh, I'm going to take you through a few things in this first game, and I'm going to tell you what else we're going to be doing in the show We're going to spend a lot of time talking about what we both think, Mike and I think, is the game of the weekend, San Francisco at Jacksonville. And that is a game that, for so many reasons, is vitally important uh, to the San Francisco 49ers. But first, you know, what we usually do on the show on Friday is we dissect the game on Thursday night. And even though... This game didn't have the sort of drama and great plays. In fact, there was only one great play. The 79-yard punt return by the Panthers in the first uh, quarter of this game and everything else was just sort of very meh. In fact, I'd really like to know how Al Michaels kept a straight face through much of this game because I know what he must have been feeling on Amazon Prime Video doing this game. But I think there are two big takeaways, at least from me, about this game. And the first one is that, you know, I'm very interested right now in Tyson Bajan and in essence about what his role is with this team going forward. Because I thought he made enough plays and has made enough plays. Look, he had a rough game against the Saints last week. But I think he's made enough plays to deserve a spot on the Bears' 53-man roster going forward. Look, he's inexpensive. He'd be a good backup. Who knows what can happen? He's confident, and he knows what he's doing out there. And, And also for the Bears, I thought that Montez Sweat, with his eight pressures in this game... He showed basically that because everybody is saying, oh my God, Ryan Poles overpaid for Montez Sweat in giving him an extension uh, for, you know, 24, 25 million a year for four years. And you just say, man, is he really that good of a player? And I think he showed Thursday night that he's got a really good chance to be the keystone 
of what the Bears have been looking for forever. And that is in the post-Khalil Mack era, a long-term pass rusher. That's what they have needed almost as much, not quite, as a long-term quarterback. So that is my Chicago, quick Chicago takeaway. My Carolina takeaway is that I would really like to urge all Carolina Panthers fans, whoever you are listening to this show today, get off the ledge and don't necessarily think, please, please, that the Carolina Panthers are in major trouble. And look, we've all seen this. We've all seen how good C.J. Stroud is. Do you want to do something totally fruitless? Continue week after week after week to bang your head against the wall because your team did not take C.J. Stroud. So what? You know, I mean, it's a mistake. It looks like a big mistake right now, but that's the way life goes. Your quarterback, Bryce Young, is not hopeless. And I thought in the first half, he and offensive coordinator Thomas Brown, the play caller now, I thought that they had a lot of trouble dealing with the Chicago pressure. Look, they had trouble with the Chicago pressure the whole night. But in the second half, I'm going to show you a play that in the second half, to me, shows so much about why I don't think anybody should be giving up on, uh, you know, on Bryce Young yet. And I thought there were a couple of drives in the second half where he made some good plays. And there was a play, fourth and six, with 12.58 left in the game, that you've got to make this play to have a chance to win. And on this particular play, he made, he, I'm, we're going to show it to you later in the show. We don't have it right now. But I'm going to show it to you later in the show. And the reason I want to show you the play and what really stood out when I watched this is the calm demeanor that Bryce Young has. And look, the game, you could say, oh, my God, it's a disaster. You don't score an offensive touchdown. You only have two field goal drives. So we, we've got the play now. So let me show this to you. Fourth and six, 12.58 left fourth quarter. And I just want you to watch Bryce Young and how calm he is. And he throws the ball into a tight window right there. Watch him now as he goes to the right and on the run makes a throw, a perfect throw, right into the exact place, the only place it can go in tight coverage. And I only show you this because I know that the vast majority of people last night, uh, you know, or waking up this morning looking, oh my God, Bryce Young, another dud and everything. It's a disaster. They should never have picked Bryce Young. I saw a lot of things in this game, particularly in the second half that I really, really liked. And look, their biggest issue right now, Carolina's biggest issue, and Scott Fitterer has to solve this, the general manager of the Panthers. He has to solve this. Uh, I think both in free agency, the number one priority, you're going to say, oh, he needs a big weapon at wide receiver. Okay, I, I, of course they do. But the biggest thing that Scott Fitter, the general manager of the Panthers, must do, he's got to fix the offensive line. Because there were so many times in that game last night where I'm watching the game and I say, this reminds me of watching Daniel Jones. I, you know, Daniel Jones, who through the first five games of this season was pressured 82 times. And that's what it was like for Bryce Young in the first half of the game. I applaud Bryce Young. After the game, he just said, hey, look, I've got to get better. I've got to, it starts with me, all that. You know, it's a cliche, but he understands exactly what he is dealing with right now. I thought Amazon put up a great graphic early in this game. I think Kaylee Hartung talked about it, that Bryce Young going into this game has already lost his many games, seven, as he lost in his high school career in Southern California 
and in his career at Alabama. And so he is dealing with a whole different world. So I think that, and again, look, everybody in, in Charlotte, everybody who, who likes the Panthers doesn't want to hear, you know, be patient, be patient. And I'm sure David Tepper, the owner of this team, doesn't want to hear, be patient, be patient. The worst thing David Tepper could do again would be to do something fairly knee-jerk, to do the Mark Davis thing, to just fire everybody and start over. He's wealthy enough to do so, but that is not how you build a continuum. That's not how you build a long-term good team. And, and look, I happen to think that Frank Reich is a, is, a, is a good NFL coach. But the one thing that, the one trait that Frank Reich had, I don't know if you all remember this, but when the in-season uh, videos were done, I forget if it was Hard Knocks or if it was uh, that sort of ill-fated uh, in-season show that teams used to do. Uh, I think it was probably Hard Knocks, but the in-season Hard Knocks. But there was a scene late in that season where in the middle of a team meeting, Frank Reich finds out that a couple of guys, key guys have tested positive for COVID and won't be available to play that week at Arizona. And Frank Reich doesn't do this. All he does is he basically says, all right, let's figure it out. We're going to move on. And, you know, because a team takes on the personality and the presence of a leader. And that is why this team right now needs to take on the presence of a flatline, strong person. They know it's a disaster. They see it's a disaster. And, you know, it's awful. They're basically handing the first pick in the draft next year, and they will hear all of the issues. They'll hear everything. They will hear that, oh, my God, if you had the first pick this year, you could get one of the two great young quarterbacks from USC or North Carolina. And so what an idiotic move you made last year in taking a short guy. But all of that stuff cannot help the Carolina Panthers. Negativity can't help the Panthers right now. So that's sort of my quick read on Carolina. And I want to get into one other thing. I wanted to get into one other thing, but let's welcome Mike in. Uh, now, Mike Mike Florio, who's had some technical issues this morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I just sat down. <laughs> yes, you did. Too, yes, you did. Yes, you did. I initially have that feeling of guilt because you and I both have a habit of showing up just before the program begins. So when there is a technical issue, (laughs) I can't help but wonder if I would bother to show up a few minutes earlier than when I do, it would be resolved. So I actually feel better that it didn't get resolved like in the first 10 minutes of the show, because even if I had shown up 10 minutes early, it wouldn't have been resolved. It's still not resolved. And I resolved to come back down to my office to do this on Zoom because the microphone upstairs is broken or the line from, you know, it's funny. Last week we pulled off West Virginia, Texas, Frankfurt, Connecticut like that. This week, this week yeah. we, can't, we can't do a far simpler thing. So, you know, I got to ask you about Germany before we get back to the game. And great job. I was listening very, you know, intently on your discussion of the Bears-Panthers game. I have no disagreement with anything you've said so far, but you were in Germany. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I think it should be a requirement. If you go over for the Apple-Strudel game, you got to stay for the Road Apple game this week between the Colts (laughs) and the Patriots. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Yeah, I, I never really gave that much thought. And everybody said, hey, you, you went to Germany two years in a row. It's great. I said, well, look, I, I'm going to be very honest with you. I went one year because it was Tom Brady going to Germany in the middle of almost certainly his last year. And then the next year, I say, oh, my God, this is a top 10 game of the NFL season. Tua at Mahomes in Frankfurt. That is really cool. And so that's why I went to those games. If it was a road apple game, if it was Jags Falcons, I wouldn't be going over. And and it's funny, I've never been to one of the whatever 38 games or whatever it is in London. And now I've been to both of them in Germany, but no, I I had to say no nine Danka to Patriots Colts. <laughs> What, what was your, before we get back to Bears, Panthers, give me your big takeaway about the current state of the NFL in Germany and what you think the future is. And is Germany, in your estimation, more likely to get a team before London? Mike, I'm just, uh, I, I would bet, I, you may live to see teams in Europe, but... You know what I think they're going to do? I think, okay, so next year, five games, right? Three in England, one in Germany, and one in either Spain or Brazil, right? And then I think starting in 25 or 26, you're going to start to see it ratchet up. The most significant thing I can say from a news standpoint, all right, while I was there, Mark Donovan, the president of Kansas City, I was on that Chiefs championship boat, uh, this 250-foot, three-story yacht that uh, might even be good enough for Daniel Snyder to step on. Uh, th- this, this incredible boat that, that Kansas City had fitted and painted and, and all that, and I'm sorry, wrapped, not painted in red. And Mark Donovan said to me, he goes, we don't want to wait eight years. We know what the NFL rules say, okay? We don't want to wait eight years. We want to come back sooner than that. And Mike, you might say, oh my God, you know, Andy Reid rolling his eyes about this and all that. But progressive NFL owners, progressive NFL teams are going to look at playing games and establishing a beachhead in football-mad areas like Germany. Kansas City has already spent $3 million on promotions. Uh, on it, it, Mike, I'm telling you, that city was had to be 80 to 90% Kansas City fans, both in who, those who came over for the game from the U.S. and those who live there. And it's natural, isn't it? They've won two Super Bowls in the last four years. They have Patrick Mahomes. They have Mr. Taylor Swift. And so it's going to be an incredibly popular team. And so I think as I look at this, um, remember, Mike, 10 years ago, every year they would say, well, we're trying to convince the Packers to come over. We're trying to convince this team to come over. And we'd like to see this player play over in England or play, you know, in Mexico, whatever. And time after time after time, I remember going to league meetings and people would say, yeah, we're talking to Green Bay. We want to convince them and everything. So finally, they passed the rule. Once every eight years, minimum, you got to give up a home game and you got to play overseas. But I'm telling you, the big difference in the last year or so is that teams are saying, hey, we want to go. 
we would like to go over there. And we should talk at some point about Australia because I don't mean to, uh, you know, to quote Elaine Bennis here, but that is real and it's spectacular. And at some point soon, oh, that wasn't Elaine Bennis. That was, uh, yeah, was, what's her name? I think it was. Sidra. I think it was. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, was, yeah, I forget. I Elaine was the one that, that confirmed that, that they yeah, were Yeah, that real said they're real and they're spectacular, yeah. But, but what I'm saying, we'll talk about Australia, which is probably four years away, but it, I think it will happen. But I, I'll just say this, Mike. When you have one of the most influential team presidents in the NFL, Mark Donovan, say, we want to come back sooner, much sooner than the eight-year uh, minimum. You got to come over at least once every eight years and give up a home game. And so the way I look at this, Mike, I think we're going to see a better quality of game over in Europe. And we're going to see more teams say, make it about us. But I just don't see expansion or a team moving over there. I just, right now, anyway, the logistics pre-supersonic transport. If there was the Concorde, that's another issue. But because it takes eight and a half, nine hours to get there from the middle of the United States, I just think there's a lot of teams that would say we, a lot of owners would say we don't want to vote for uh, multiple teams in Europe right now. An item I posted just before the show got started about expansion. I've been talking about this all week with all the quarterback injuries, with the quality of quarterback play, with Tommy DeVito getting ready to be fed to the Cowboys on Sunday at 425 p.m. And maybe to start the last half of the season for the New York football giants. Yes, but it begins in a game that Fox will call without irony America's game of the week. Tommy DeVito fed to the Cowboys. You can't have expansion. There aren't enough quarterbacks to go around for more than 32 teams. There aren't enough quarterbacks to go around for 32 teams as we get deeper into the season and guys get injured. Here's what I think is happening. They dangle the idea of sending a team to London, Germany, wherever from time to time. I think just to keep people interested and when the news cycle lands, when the NFL is coming, oh, did you know we may have a team here at some point? When? Well, they never quite say it, but they just say at some point in the future. Now that they're carving the league up in these slices where different teams have different dibs on different places, Peter, we are moving toward what I thought was going to happen 10, 12 years ago. It's the shrink wrap cereal box approach where London gets eight games and they're going to be different teams in every game. You get a tiny little box of Frosted Flakes. You get a tiny little box of Corn Pops. You get a tiny little box of Special K. That one always got thrown away. You get a tiny or Corn Flakes or something that wasn't, you know, completely draped in sugar. That's the one that that never got eaten. But, and that was kind of like last night's game, but whatever, they'll take it. They'll take it. They'll take last night's game. They'll take Bears Panthers. They'll take what they can get. And, and with 17 games, now I don't think there's going to be 17 games for long. I think we're going to be back to 18 or up to 18 by the time we get to the next decade because the NFL is going to want more. But with 17, it's perfect because you just take one home game from the conference because it flips-flops each year or flip-flops as the case may be. NFC has nine home games one year. AFC has nine the next. You just right. make those neutral site games. Everybody's got eight. And you've got 16 neutral site games that you can put in Germany, in London, in Australia, in Argentina, in wherever you want to put them. And I think that's the track it's currently on. And when when teams like the Chiefs are ready to go back again sooner than later, well, okay, we got 16 to work with. We're sending four or five. We got 10 or 11 more that we can do. Let's just do 16 a year. And I think they're at the point where they could pull off 16 if they wanted to. We could have 9.30 a.m. football, assuming that the games are in Europe. It gets a little permanently gets a little crazy when we start going elsewhere. But in Europe, we could have 9.30 a.m. Eastern time football most Sundays of the regular season. Mike, I had this discussion. Let's transition just for a second to your thought about a lot of games overseas, okay? And I think you're on to something if, if, if 
the NFL can figure a way to make the 930 game a package. Okay, I'm not sure it'd be 16, but I think it's entirely likely that the NFL could say, okay, we're going to put eight games on in consecutive weeks during the season. And when we reopen the media contract, we are going to try to find someone. And you say, well, who would take a 9.30 a.m. package of games? Who would take a 6.30 a.m. Pacific time game, you know, in L.A.? You know, that's what time would come on in L.A. And, and I say, you know, just, just think about this for a second. In the last deal, Roger Goodell and Brian Rolap and the owners, they said, you know, we're going to go to Amazon Prime. You know why we're going to Amazon Prime? Because streaming A is the future, which it is, and B, Amazon Prime is not a football network. It's not a sports network. It is a bunch of tech nerds who are going to figure out new and interesting ways to show the games. And the first evidence of that is what they are doing in their alternate Prime Vision feed right now every Thursday in which using artificial intelligence and the, uh, the, 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 the sensors that are built into each shoulder pad of every NFL player, they're basically predicting before the play, showing the all 22 and predicting who's going to blitz on this play. And it's totally, totally fascinating. And I am told that they're already thinking about, okay, what bell and whistle are we going to put in next year? So the NFL, in other words, didn't go out and say to ESPN, hey, let's put these Thursday night games on ESPN 2 or let's go to some other regular traditional network and say, hey, let's go to TNT and say, hey, why don't you just show the games, same crews, same everything and all that. No, I believe that when this thing opens back up, whatever year it is, I think it's 29, 28 or 29, that the NFL will seriously consider a package of 930 games. And that would be all of the Europe games in the course of the year. And Mike, just think about this. You know, there's, there are places in Europe that really want the NFL to play. Like, for instance, Dublin is Dublin desperately wants a game. Okay, we never talk about Dublin, but a Steelers game in Dublin, you're getting 90,000 people at Croke Park or wherever it is they would play. Paris. Paris could have a game as early as 2025 after the Olympics finish there next year. So, so so, So follow this. You got Dublin. You got London. Let's say four a year in London let's say, two a year in Germany. And then you've got Spain, you've got Paris, you've got Dublin, and who knows what else you have. But to me, the NFL is going to capitalize on this, and I don't think it'll be very long before we see eight games outside the United States in a given year, up from the current five. And I think that is the path that's going on. Just because moving a team to London, Germany, wherever brings with it a ton of issues that aren't going to be easily solved. And I think they keep waiting for a solution to pop up. It's just not going to pop up. This is the better solution, sending teams here, there, and everywhere, especially if they want to go. That's the key. That's the biggest change over the past decade. You now have teams that are clamoring to go instead of teams that are saying, oh, fine, I'll do it. So in that spirit, oh, fine, I'll do it. I'll transition back to last night's game, Bears-Panthers. You were doing a great job breaking it all down. And, you know, Peter, look, I know the Bears feel good about getting their third win of the season, but when you look at their schedule, they don't have many more one-win teams left on it. They're going to have to beat somebody better than the Panthers to thrust themselves back into contention. In the NFC, who knows? Maybe they can become a team that is relevant. 
With seven losses, it's hard, though. You kind of got to run the table at this point. But it is something to build on, and it gives the front office something to think about. Tyson Bajan, Justin Fields, high pick next year, our own, and Carolina's. What are we going to do? The balance of the season is data that can be factored into whatever the decision will be next year. Do we go with a new quarterback in the hopes of finally getting a franchise guy for the first time since Sid Luckman? Can we develop Tyson Bajan into something? What do we do with Justin Fields? But it is amazing to me to think that a kid that was playing Division II football a year ago comes into yeah. the NFL undrafted the same season as Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner a couple of years ago, comes from Alabama as the first pick in the draft. And the kid from D2 beats him. Now, I know that there are other <laughs> players on the team that factor into that. But that is an amazing fact in and of itself. Tyson Bage, an undrafted Division II starting quarterback, gets the win over Heisman Trophy winning first overall pick in the draft. It's unbelievable. Mike, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, just before the show. And I was thinking about the, the vagaries of the NFL game right now. And and look, I, I, I remain very, very dubious about Tommy DeVito because if the Giants had any confidence in Tommy DeVito, they wouldn't have had him shrink-wrapped and just holding on to the ball. And I think throwing it three times in his first 44 plays that he played in the NFL against the Jets. But... What I think is really, really interesting right now, when you look at, there's a bunch of quarterbacks right now who we did not see playing at a decent level. You know, you start with Josh Dobbs, you know, because I think that I would really love to know, by the way, Mike, and I'd love to hear your thoughts too on this, because is there any reason really why the Arizona Cardinals, other than to get a low day three pick, ridded themselves of Josh Dobbs and, you know, knowingly, voluntarily, they made the decision to start Clayton Toon at Cleveland, the toughest defense arguably to play right now in the NFL. Certainly one of the top two or three, Baltimore, Kansas City, pick them, you know, whatever. But how, why in the world would you make that decision? Tell me, why, why would you do that? And I'm not suggesting they, they are tanking. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is at some point, no matter whether you think that your, your quarterback is very good or not good, you know, you got to stop the bleeding. You got to go to Cleveland And you have to try to play a remotely competitive game. And you might just say, well, look, we're going to lose this game anyway. Let's throw this kid to the Lions. I I, I don't like that. I didn't like the move at all. And it's become a great story. I just didn't like the move. I got to start by saying the Cardinals currently the most dysfunctional organization in football, which makes it difficult for sane, rational people or me to try to figure out exactly what they're doing. So that's the basic context. I don't think they know what they're doing. That may be the simplest explanation. They don't know what they're doing. They're not capable of making a good decision. But I think the most sensible way to process this, and it's not tanking per se. It's kind of what the Browns did a few years ago where they put together this convoluted four-year plan that paid executives and coaches bonuses based on stockpiling cap room and stockpiling draft picks. They're not prioritizing winning in 2023. Winning is not a priority. Their priority is getting as much as they can for the future. So here we are on the brink of Kyler Murray ready to return. The trade deadline is coming now. If we're ever going to get anything for Josh Dobbs, we're going to get it. Now, what amazes me is how do you only get this new thing we've seen where player plus a seventh-round pick gets a sixth-round pick back? How is that the compensation for a quarterback that the Vikings 
desperately needed. The last time they were in this situation, yeah. they had to give up one and a four to get Sam Bradford. Josh told me after the game last week, the Browns were the other team he could have been traded to. How in the hell did the Cardinals, Peter, not put together some sort of a competition here? Get the Jets involved. Call the Jets. Call anybody that may need a backup and say, we got one. We got three quarterbacks. Our starter's coming back. We're willing to subject Clayton Toon to Miles Garrett, and they got what they deserved for that, unfortunately for Clayton Toon. We're willing to move Josh Dobbs because here's the deadline now. They should have gotten more. But in their mind, anything is better because they're not prioritizing winning this year. So, hey, we upgraded a future draft pick by moving this guy that isn't going to be with us anyway next year. Hooray for us. Meanwhile, they averaged less than one yard per minute of clock time. 60-minute game and 58 yards. That's inexcusable in today's NFL. But they're just it's not tanking because nobody on the field is going to try to lose. The coaches aren't going to try to lose. These are high-level decisions that don't prioritize winning and operate to tie a hand behind the back of the people who are told, may the best team win. Mike, let, let me just, and I'm going to echo your point here. Let me say why this trade was absolutely, totally useless. Useless. And it's for this reason. Let's, let's go very granular here. The Minnesota Vikings trade uh, for Josh Dobbs, right? The Vikings essentially trade a sixth-round pick, which likely now will be in the middle or maybe, yeah, whatever. Let's just, let's guess, 18th pick or something like that. It'll be 16, 17. Let's, let's, let's call it smack dab in the middle of the round. Let's call it the 16th pick of the round, all right? The Arizona Cardinals are going to have a top three pick in the seventh round. So there are going to be, I don't know, maybe eight picks, compensatory picks. So let's just say the Vikings, you know, are going to pick midway in the sixth round. So I'm looking at last year's draft. Midway in the sixth round is about the 200th pick overall. And so now you go down a bunch of picks and you go maybe eight compensatory picks. So here's what you basically have gained. You have gained about 22 to 24 choices in the draft. You have gone from maybe 222 to 200. Now, I would just like you to tell me right now at this moment, if the Minnesota Vikings knew that Josh Dobbs was going to come in and be a steadying influence on their team and, and come in and win a crucial game, which I'm telling you, remember, this guy beat Dallas six weeks ago. So don't tell me that it's some big shock that he could come in in relief with hardly any... Uh, you know, practice time. And he can beat the Atlanta Falcons. Who are the Atlanta Falcons? So my point is, you you gave up maybe. you if, if you're the Vikings, all this cost you was moving down 24 slots late on day three of the draft. It's the no-brainer of all no-brainers. And, and that's why I think it was... That's it's just a it's a dumb move by the Arizona Cardinals, in part because then you got to play Tommy Toon at Cleveland, and he's going to have nightmares about that for the rest of his his life. Tommy Toon was a great dancer. He was live. Thank you. I think that's what George said. I think that's what Frank Costanza said about Tommy Toon. He was live. Anyway, uh, back to the game that we still keep trying to not talk about. One moment near the end (laughs) was curious to me, Peter. The Panthers, on a drive that included a first and 30 that they somehow converted. You showed the play earlier, I think, of the fourth and six that in that drive that that, uh, Bryce Young managed to convert. There were a couple penalties that would have extended that drive as well. It's fourth and 10. 
And the Panthers are down by three. And you either go for it or you kick a 59-yard field goal. At Soldier Field. Not in a dome. Not in Denver. At Soldier Field. In November. And the reaction from Eddie Pinheiro was great. Because they show him and he's just kind of like, well, you know, what the, what do you expect? Like, hey, it's 59 yards. It's Soldier Field. It's November. I gave it my best shot. So I want to hear from Frank Reich. There it is. There it is. There. What do you know? Hey, what do you do? What can you do? It's 59 yards. It's Soldier Field. They send me out. I kick the ball. What do you expect? It's going to be good. It's 59 yards in Soldier Field. Here's Frank Reich after the game talking about the decision to send Eddie Pinheiro out there to miss a 59-yard field goal. It was a tough decision, you know, and honestly, uh, as far as percentages, I felt like the percentages, you know, I, I listened to what everybody, you know, listened to the analytics guys, listened, talked to Coach Tabes, you know, there was mixed opinions about what we should do. That's my call. Um, I've seen us make 60-yarders in practice. Uh, felt like there was a little bit of a breeze at our back. The pers- if you just look at the pure percentages, I think the pure percentage play is to kick it, you know, um, you know, it's, it's the, the fourth and 10 conversions, probably 30% conversion and the 60 yard field goal is higher than that. Um, do I second guess myself over it? I mean, yeah, after we missed it. Yeah, I did. You know what I mean? Because the one, the one reason why maybe you go for it there, even though the percentage play is to kick it. If you're just going pure percentages is to kick it is because if we, if we make it, we still have a chance to win the game and not just tie. There was still time left. You know, it wasn't like there was 20 seconds to go. So, um, so yeah, that, that thought did go through my mind. But the idea that the idea that there's a greater than 30% chance to make a 60-yard field goal, I don't in my own brain, carry around an impression that a 60-yard field goal is a 3 out of 10 proposition. And here's the other side of it, too. Where are they kicking 60-yard field goals? Where do you try 60-yard field goals? Not at Soldier Field in November. So that stat is driven by data that is skewed by Denver and Domes. Look, I I just think that at some point, you got to set aside all the analytics and say, hang on, we got 4th and 10, we're down 3, and if they hadn't burned a timeout when they didn't need to a couple plays earlier, it would have been even easier to just go for it because we got three timeouts. If we don't make it, we can maybe get the ball back. But I think it's a no-brainer. You go for it there fourth and ten. You can get illegal contact, defensive holding. There's all sorts of ways that drive can extend. We saw the last fourth down, two different holding penalties on the last fourth down that they converted. I don't know in what world. It, you know, it kind of reminded me of Nathaniel Hackett after week one last year when he was trying to set Brandon McManus up for some ridiculously long field goal, that that's why he did what he did. Yeah. Some ridiculous yeah 64 yards or something. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, Frank, Frank, I'll take my three out of 10 shot at converting fourth and 10 over sending a guy out onto the turf of soldier field in November to make a 59 yard field goal, which came up well short. Were, were they watching him kick 60? I mean, if, if Frank Reich would have said during that clip, well, you know what? Eddie Pinheiro was banging him through from 70 before the game. Then, okay, okay. But I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, you know, I, I don't want to be overly critical here. you got to make a decision quickly. There's just a chance he made a bad decision. Look, um, here's the reason I would have gone for it, e- definitely. Um, you know, and I made a, made a note of this um, – this morning when I was thinking about, I knew we were going to talk about it. Um, early in the fourth quarter, Panthers had fourth and six at the Bears, 36. They choose to go for it. And obviously that, that would have been a shorter field goal, but they choose to go for it. And Bryce Young converts to Tommy Tremble, first down. Okay. Then... On this same drive, they have a fourth and one at their own 18. And they choose to go for it. And Bryce Young scrambles for it. 
They have a fourth and two at the two-minute warning. And Bryce Young throws to Miles Sanders uh, and gains 13. So I I question whether you've got a 30% chance to make fourth and 10 in that situation. I bet it isn't quite that. I'd love to hear the reason why it's a 30% chance. I, I would have thought it was a little bit less. But still, I would have gone for it on fourth and 10 because my quarterback is an, he may not be the best quarterback in the league, but he is a confident, cool guy who'd converted three fourth downs in this quarter alone. And so I would have gone for it. But Mike, I'm just going to make this point about this entire argument. Let's just say they go for it. They make it. They come down. They win. I mean, what really has changed about the Carolina Panthers? You got confidence because maybe you made a great drive at a tough place to win on the road against a good pass rush. I get it. But... You know, it's like Juju Smith-Schuster. The Browns is the Browns. They're, they're, they're still going to be a team in need of incredible infusion of talent this offseason. You're absolutely right, Peter. But I was thinking of something just as you said that. And this is one of the reasons why analytics has a place. But analytics at times needs to take a back seat. Or let's say analytics needs to be stuffed in the trunk when you consider other factors such as how the game is going how your team is playing what your gut feel is where you're playing the game there are a lot of things and the analytics crowd will say oh that's covered oh that's covered in the calculations oh that's covered oh that okay baloney all it all can't be covered in these calculations we can't reduce life to a mathematical equation and here's the biggest thing that could have come from that They go for it on 4th and 10. They don't make it. No big deal. You move on. You go for it. You make it. Maybe you win the game. Your quarterback, who is currently feeling at some level of his being, like he's letting the Panthers down, like he's not the guy he needs to be, like his good friend C.J. Stroud is clearly better than him. Wouldn't that be a nice shot of confidence? Wouldn't that be like a B-12 shot for George Costanza if Bryce Young had converted that last night and driven down the rest of the way and finished the job and won the game? It was an opportunity squandered by the Panthers to give Bryce Young a chance to take a step closer to what they need him to be. Win or lose, who cares? Here's an opportunity for a quarterback who's been beaten down by the comparisons to C.J. Stroud to do something that makes people say, hey, you know what? Maybe the Panthers didn't screw it all up. That's where the problem is in the decision that was made in that moment by Frank Reich. Yeah, and I get that. And as I say, uh, look, Mike, when in the first 10 minutes of the show, I, I said, listen, get off the ledge, Carolina fans. Uh, I saw stuff last night. And look, my expectations were very low coming into that game about uh, anything I was going to see in a positive way about either Bryce Young or the Panthers. But all things considered, all things considered, I like what I saw from Bryce Young last night. And the reason I did is that he understands that he's in an avalanche that he's not going to be protected well. And yet he made a bunch of plays in this game. He made a bunch of plays uh, on fourth down. He made other plays. He missed some, but I just think, look, this is a guy who got pressured eight times by Montez Sweat in this game, who was really constantly under pressure. But he just comes back and he keeps swinging. That is what you want in your quarterback. And so to me, I'm not saying he's going to make it. He's going to be great. I'm not saying anything. All I'm saying is that the worst thing that you can do, if you wake up this morning and look, nobody, if you're, if you're David Tepper and you wake up this morning and you're just thinking awful thoughts, you know, because he has been a bit of a knee-jerk owner in his time. 
you know, I compared him to Mark Davis. You know, Mark Davis's average coach lasts about 10 minutes. Uh, you, you know, stop changing coaches so often. And again, look, we, we get into Mark Davis. I understand they're better off without Josh McDaniels. I totally get that. But at some point, you've got to stop the merry-go-round. And that's why if you're the Carolina Panthers, your ownership, your management, you're the coaching staff, take a deep breath and say, we don't have our pieces in place. Trust the process. And that's how I would look at it if I'm Carolina. We had a great glimpse of the personality and impatience that oozes from David Tepper last night when the camera found him in his luxury suite and he was pissed. That's usually a reaction you don't see. It's usually just kind of muted and, and you know, you just go about your business, try not to pick your nose. Right. He was pissed. Yeah. He was irritated. I mean, this guy just holds on to life a little too tight. And it served him well. Multi-billionaire hedge fund manager. That's great. But in this setting, it's just a little bit too much. It's, a, it's obvious to anyone who's watching. It's too intense. It's too stiff. It's too pissed off all the time, and it's not going to be successful. And there it is right on cue. He's like, you know, God, why are you doing this, people? Oh, no. Serenity now. Sir, look at it. Look, what are they doing? Look, look. They've got this TV camera. What, what, oh, what are they doing here? It's like they, they're taking shots of him in his bathroom on the commode. You're sitting in your luxury suite at a game. What do you expect? You own the team. If you don't want to be on TV as an owner of a team, why the hell did you buy a team? It's one of the things that goes along with buying a team. Oh, my gosh. All right. Um, I want to hear a little bit from Bryce Young. You <laughs> Show that on a loop 16 times. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's it's Bryce great. Young after the game. Not nearly as irritated as David Tepper when he was seen sitting in his luxury suite at the game last night. Let's have a, a listen to how, how Young came off after a game that the Panthers did their best to try to win. We have to be better. I have to be better, first and foremost. I have to be I have to be a lot better. So, you know, we have to be better. We, we, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, and that's not me. That's not just me. That, that's everyone. You know, we're competitors. Losing is, is frustrating. Um, you know, it's fresh. You feel it. But at the end of the day, you got to, you got to turn the page and being frustrated, however you feel, it's not going to, not going to win you a game. It's not going to help. Um, you have to turn that and, and use that in action throughout the week, and then we have to translate it to, to, to Sunday or Thursday tonight, whatever. We, we have to translate it. We, we care. We work hard. You know, I'm, I'm grateful to be playing with the guys that, that I am. You know, we work hard. Um, you know, we're, we're throughout the week, you know, we look good. We execute. We, we, we do. We, we push. But we, we got to find a way to make that, make that translate again, especially, especially offensively. First, again, first and foremost, myself, I have to be better. have to be better. Receiver Adam Thielen was a little more blunt than that. He called the offensive performance last night an embarrassing effort. And I can't help but think how different that press conference goes if Frank Reich trusts Bryce Young on fourth and ten. They drive down. They win the game. He's in that press conference with his pads and his jersey still on. He's smiling. Primetime game. Al Michaels calling the game. That They said during the broadcast how excited he was about that. His first Al Michaels game. They win it. They feel like they have a little something. They've won two out of three. They're moving forward, laying the foundation for next year. That's why you go for it on fourth and ten. I don't want to hear percentages. I don't want to talk analytics. I want to talk about developing a young quarterback and giving him opportunities to build his conference, Peter. Confidence, excuse me, Peter. And that was an opportunity lost last night. Regardless of how it would have turned out, it was an opportunity lost. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I would have gone for it. Uh, and... I'm not sure it's 30%, whatever the percentage is. reason I would have gone for it is because he's converted three fourth downs, you know, in the last 30 minutes, you know, in the la in the, I mean, of, of real time, uh, the last whatever, 12 or 13 minutes on the game clock. So, and I just, you know, I understand Adam Thielen has got to be tearing his hair out because Adam Thielen was on a really good offensive team for his whole career until he came to Carolina. And so to not be able to move the ball with any consistency, it's got to be killing him. But I think I just look at this and I just say, 
you know, Mike, I said, uh, you probably heard it earlier, that this really reminds me what I saw last night in terms of, you know, a quarterback getting chased, getting bothered, getting pressured. Reminds me of Daniel Jones in the first five games of this year. 82 pressures, 28 sacks. And that's what last night looked like to me. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, before we take our break, Michael David Smith, the managing editor of ProFootballTalk.com, has done the research at my request just in the past few minutes. Since 2013, Peter, there have been 26 field goals attempted of exactly 59 yards. 26 since 2013. How many do you think were made exactly 59 yards since 2013? 10. 12, 46%. Now, again, they weren't all at Soldier Field in November, but one of them was. The most recent one was Matt Prater nailing a 59-yarder at Soldier Field. So one of the 26, one of the 12 that went through was at Soldier Field. But the percentage is a little bit higher than we would have thought. Still, still, I agree with your instinct. 30% too low last night in that moment. And the benefits in the future for giving Bryce Young a chance to prove himself and develop that confidence he desperately needs, Peter. That's why they should have gone for it. But, you know, kickers, I remember when I was a kid, a 40-yard field goal was a big deal. Now we've got 46% conversion rate at 59 yards. You know, the one thing I would say about the field goal try, and this just occurred to me as you're talking about that, Let's say they make the field goal. And uh, so they make the field goal. And Carolina basically now has to defend Chicago. And, and think about this, Mike. They would have kicked this field goal with about a minute 35 to go. Then you're going to give the ball back on a kickoff in a tie game to Chicago with a minute 35 to go and Chicago with having all three of its timeouts. It's, you know, I, it, there's a better chance that Tyson Bajan is going to get in field goal range. There's a better than 50, in my opinion, better than 50% chance he's going to get in field goal range. So that ought to be factored in to the decision also, which all you're doing is delaying the inevitable. Well, it's not inevitable, but delaying the likelihood that Chicago's going to get in position to be able to kick the winning field goal in a minute 35. But again, look, I think we both agree, should have gone for it. That's the way life goes, and we move on. And, and that's another question about the quality of the analytics. I, I don't think every team has the exact same formulations and procedures and approaches. There are deviations here and there. But it is different to say, what's my percentage chance making fourth and ten What's my percentage chance making this field goal? And what's my percentage chance of winning if I do those two things? Because you're right. Even if you right. make the field goal. That's a different question. Making right. the field goal is a different question than what are my chances of winning? Because even if, let's say, the, the chances of making the field goal are 40%, I don't think that means that your chances of winning are, are, you know, 40 or 50%. I don't think they're nearly as good, but anyway. Yeah, no, but that's, that's why it's important. If you're going to embrace analytics, as every team now does, you need to do it in a way that makes sense. You need to be using good numbers. You need to be using good processes, and you need to be asking the right questions at the right times when you're making these decisions. And ultimately, you got to be able to set it aside and make a decision based on everything that's going on, not just the numbers yeah. somebody's whispering yeah. into your headset. All right, we got to take a break. 49ers have lost three games in a row. And, and if you get, yeah, it's easy for him to say. The 49ers have lost three games in a row. Can they get back on track this weekend when they take on the juggernaut Jacksonville Jaguars? A little elaboration there on a Friday morning. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? 
Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.